mentioned last week, we're going to be, Lord willing, this year working through the first several chapters of the book of Genesis, uh, thinking about uh, biblical foundations, theological foundations, truths that those passages help us to see uh, in order to understand uh, the rest of Scripture and understand our world. But before we get into that, we're taking a little bit of time to kind of think about the Bible itself. Uh, if we're going to look at biblical foundations from Genesis, uh, we want to have a sense of, well, why would we go to a book like Genesis to give us foundations for what we think and what we believe? So last week, we, we talked about what is the Bible, uh, understanding that it's inspired by God and therefore is inerrant, uh, everything it says is true. It's infallible, nothing that he says will ever uh, fail to come to pass, and it is authoritative, it is the final word, and as well, it is sufficient, that it gives us everything we need in order to know and serve the Lord. And because the Bible is that, and Christians believe that, and hold fast to it, uh, the Bible is often where attacks against Christianity come. People begin to try to attack and say, you can't believe the Bible, you can't trust the Bible. And what we're going to, Lord willing, talk about tonight and next week is why we can trust the Bible. Why do we believe the Bible? Um, and as we go through this, in many ways we're going to be talking about defenses or arguments or proofs that the Bible is true. And when we're doing that, really what we're trying to do is say, is the Bible actually God's word? Are the words that I'm reading in the Bible the very word of God. And, and so what we're really asking is, is the Bible inspired? And tonight we're going to do something a little bit different from what we would normally do on a Wednesday night, and that we're not going to spend a lot of time in the Bible, uh, in part because I'm wanting to kind of make sure we have the right perspective uh, to think about this question. And so tonight we're going to really begin to think about insufficient proofs or flawed arguments as to the fact that the Bible is God's word. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about good arguments and understanding what Scripture has to say about these things. Now, let me begin by by saying, as I'm talking about these insufficient or flawed arguments, I think they're true. The arguments are, are true in themselves, and they are rightly talking about truths about the Bible. But what they can't do is actually take someone who's says, I'm not quite sure, I need to be convinced, I need to be certain that the Bible is God's word. And if we say, well, here's this argument that will give you that proof, we actually are not doing what we should be doing. And I'll try to make that clear tonight as we work through this, um, talking about some of these insufficient or flawed proofs. And the first looks at archaeological evidence. There was a time in which archaeology appeared to be at odds with the Bible. Uh, many people, especially in the 1700s, 1800s, they often uh, were making arguments, well, you can't trust the Bible. Let's, you know, look at, look at all the issues that we found um, that undermine it in light of archaeological discovery. Uh, and yet, what tended to happen was, given enough time and given enough efforts in archaeology, they actually found things that confirmed or, or matched up with what the Bible had to say. One example you'll see there is the Hittites. Hittites are people mentioned several times in the Bible, and uh, for 
hundreds of years. Uh, there was no evidence that they existed. And so people said, well, the Bible obviously made this up. This is just myth. This is just legend. And then there were some discoveries in the 1900s that gave all this information about the Hittite people. So people looked at that and said, aha, see, the Bible's true. And we've, we've proved it's true because we found this information about the Hittites. There's a problem with that argument. There's a few problems. Uh, some problems I'm going to talk about at the very end that affect all of these arguments. I'm going to hit just a couple that, that hit uh, each argument directly. If the doctrine of inspiration receives its validation through archaeological studies, basically, how do I know the Bible is God's word? Well, archaeology shows me that. Well, before the 1900s, then we had no evidence for us to believe that the Bible was God's word. Until we found, oh, the Hittites were real from archaeology, well, now we can believe the Bible. So before that, we couldn't believe the Bible. And so that's helps us to see that's not a good argument for why we believe the Bible. We don't have to wait for someone to have found an archaeological discovery. It was already there. And, and as well, I'll say this too. Just because the Bible is historically accurate doesn't mean it's from God's. It's from God. Uh, there are historically accurate books, hopefully, in our school. Uh, as people, as students get back going, as they as we teach history, we're teaching with books that are historically accurate. That doesn't mean, ah, this is from God, right? And so this argument doesn't really confirm that the Bible is God's word. A second argument that's often used um, is uh, scientific accuracy. And again, the the Bible, I think, harmonizes with the the facts of true science. And so here's a quote from uh, Nathan Businitz in his book, Uh, Reasons We Believe the Bible. The Bible harmonizes with the facts of science when it speaks to the great number of stars in our universe and the uniqueness of those stars. He calls them all by name, the suspension of the earth in space, different species of plants and animals, the importance of blood to life, certain medical precautions such as lip covering, quarantine, disinfection. And those were certainly things that people who thought they understood science, uh, if they'd seen these kinds of things, they would have realized their understanding was flawed. And yet, similar to the archaeological thing, as I said, for many years, people didn't think about issues of quarantining and lip coverings and those kinds of things when they thought about diseases. They didn't think about washing. I actually read an article recently. I was talking about the, the kind of discovery of the importance of washing your hands as a doctor. And it pointed to a hospital in which uh, people would go do autopsies and, and study cadavers. And then they take their uh, tools and go over and, and deliver babies. And 90% of the women who were delivering in that hospital were dying from diseases. And someone said, well, maybe if we like washed the, you know, stuff from us on the cadavers, it would like help them not die. And so they started doing that and the lady stopped dying. And the guy who said, hey, let's try that, was mocked and ridiculed. And they said, let's stop doing this. This is ridiculous because we know diseases aren't affected by washing ourselves. So at that point in time, if you said, well, the Bible shows us this about you know, how medicine works, they would have said, well, that doesn't go up with the science of our day. And so similar to archaeology, if we say, well, the Bible matches up with science and look at all these discoveries that confirm what the scripture already said, we'd be left saying, well, then we couldn't have believed the Bible before these discoveries. As well, 
if you look at the average scientist in our day, uh, he, the average scientist starts with a, an atheistic assumption and, and tends to move toward an evolutionary theory of how life developed. Now, is that an accurate understanding of true science? I don't think it is. But now you're basically trying to argue on two fronts. You're trying to say, well, the Bible matches up with science, but not what you think of science, because what you think of science doesn't match up. So we've got to change your understanding of science. Then once you understand science rightly, then you'll see the Bible matches up with science, and now you can believe the Bible. I don't think that's a very effective argument. I don't think it's a good argument. And so does the Bible actually speak truthfully about scientific things? We pointed this out last week. Yes. But that's not why we know the Bible is from God. A third argument that, that's commonly used is fulfilled prophecy. Again, a, a quote from uh, Geisler and Nix in their book, A General Introduction to the Bible. Hundreds of predictions, some of them given hundreds of years in advance, have been literally fulfilled. And so some examples of this, the time, the city, and the nature of Christ's birth were foretold in the Old Testament as were dozens of other things about his life, death, and resurrection. Numerous other prophecies have been fulfilled, including the destruction of Tyre and Nineveh, the return of Israel to the land. Other books claim divine inspiration, such as the Quran, the Book of Mormon, parts of the Veda, which is the Hindu scriptures. But none of those books contain predictive prophecy. So as a result, fulfilled prophecy is a strong indication of the unique authority of the Bible. And so this is an argument saying, well, how could you explain all these fulfilled prophecies unless it came from God? Now, does the Bible have a lot of fulfilled prophecies? Yes. Does it have them because God's the one who gave the prophecies and he knows the end from the beginning? Yes. Does that help us to know that the Bible definitely comes from God? And the answer is no. Because scripture actually says, just because someone gives a prophecy and it comes true doesn't mean they're actually speaking for God. But we sometimes think a false prophet is someone who says, this is what's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen, and that's how you know he's a false prophet. And that's one of the things the Bible points to. The Bible also says a false prophet could be someone who says, this is what's going to happen, and then it happens, but then he teaches something else contradictory to what God has said. And that's what's described in Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. So this is going to happen. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. He had a prophecy that was fulfilled. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And we actually have some examples in Scripture of this happening. One of the ones that's maybe most well-known to us is Balaam. Sometimes people get confused. They think, well, Balaam had to be a prophet of God because he gave a prophecy that was true. But you actually look at the story of Balaam, it becomes very clear Balaam didn't serve God. He was a prophet for hire. Was his prophecy true? Yes. Does that mean he was a good, true prophet of God? No. So the fact that we have fulfilled prophecy doesn't guarantee that the Bible is 
God's word. A fourth argument that's sometimes given is that the Bible offers a superior morality. That the Bible surpasses any other literature of its time. You look at what it says about uh, not just um, dealing with issues of murder, but going to the heart. You look at how it treats uh, people that in society were viewed as not actually as, as, as subhuman. It actually treats them as human and gives them dignity and worth. And does the Bible do those things? And the answer is yes, it does. But this doesn't work as an argument to help us know the Bible is true and comes from God. Because in order to say it has superior morality, we have to know, well, what is the right thing to do? What, what, what is make something better or worse? And so to say it's superior means this is morality and it's closer, or this is where morality is and it's closer to where morality is. Well, how do we know what morality is? And he says, well, we get it from the Bible. And so we have to basically begin by saying, well, the Bible tells us what's good and true, and therefore the Bible matches up with what is good and true. And instead, you actually have some people who would say, you know, I don't think the Bible is that moral. I think the Bible is immoral. I think the Bible says things that I wouldn't want to do. And, and if we're honest, I think all of us would say there's maybe some things the Bible says that initially we balk at. We wonder, is that really what God would want us to do? And if we sit back in judgment and say, well, let me decide whether or not I think this is a moral thing. We're not treating the Bible as the Bible. We're treating ourselves as a standard of morality. And so we can't say, well, we know the Bible is true because it is morally superior to other things because we don't have a standard outside of the Bible to judge that. Another argument that's sometimes given is the Bible is inexhaustibly rich. This is, again, Nathan Bucinitz. Millennia after it was composed, the Bible continues to grip the souls of billions from all around the globe. It has inspired millions of books, influenced thousands of organizations, both secular and sacred, and instructed countless individuals in ways no human book ever could. No single person has ever uncovered all of its treasures, nor have all the people in all of history exhausted its wealth. From this, we conclude that the wisdom of Scripture is inexhaustibly rich. The only reasonable explanation for its ageless profundity is that it comes from the mind of the eternal God, which is exactly what it claims. Now again, is the Bible inexhaustibly rich? The answer is yes. We have a, a seminary across the street with tons of books in it. And we have men who are very gifted and they've devoted themselves to understanding the scripture. They would all say, we're barely skimming the surface in some ways. There's so much more we could, we could look at and get. So does that tell us the Bible is from God? And I don't think it can. And one of the reasons is because, again, it kind of leaves us wondering, well, how do we decide whether something's really rich, and why does something being really rich make us think, well, it must be from God? I, I confess, it's not at the same level, but you have a lot of people who say, you know what, the writings of Confucius have inspired people for thousands of years, and people still look to them today. Or the plays of Shakespeare, 
And some people might say, you know, I never found a lot of inspiration reading the plays of Shakespeare, but a lot of people have. They've looked at this and they've thought, wow, the profundity of this person. Or the writings of Aristotle or Plato or these kinds of things. They look and say, wow, can you believe people are still studying them thousands of years from now? And there's whole schools devoted to these kinds of things. And none of us would look at that and say, well, maybe that's because it came from God. Because we don't think this is really an argument that helps us to see The Bible is really God's word. Another argument that's given is the Bible is unique among religious writings. It's unique, for example, in its teaching that God is a trinity. That God is Father, Son, and Spirit, which means in part that God is a loving, personal God from all eternity because there were three persons that could love each other for all eternity. The Bible is unique in its teaching about salvation. Salvation is solely of God. Man contributes nothing to this work. Religions of this world, and they all focus on, you know, God helps us and we kind of, you know, do some certain things as well. And that matches up together in some way. And Jesus himself isn't like teachers like Confucius or Muhammad. He doesn't say, let me show you the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so is the Bible unique in these ways? And again, the answer is yes, it is unique in those ways. But that doesn't get us then to say, well, that means the Bible must be from God. Because in fact, other writings could say, well, we're unique in certain ways too. For example, the Quran says, well, you know what? The Quran has existed from all eternity and no other book claims to have been written in heaven from all eternity. But the Book of Mormon could say, you know what? No other Religion, other religious writing talks about eternal families and how you can be married and exist for all eternity. Are those teachings unique to those books? Yes, those teachings are unique to those books. It doesn't mean those books are from God. The fact that something's unique doesn't mean, oh, that must mean God's the one who gave it to us. Another argument is that the Bible has been preserved and spread around this globe in an incredible way. The original wording of scripture has been better preserved than any other work in human history. And the Bible remains the most popular book in the world today. And tied to that, people have tried to destroy and undermine the Bible. And they've tried to discredit it. And yet, you've heard this before, the Bible stands. Against all attacks, against all claims, the Bible still stands. Is that true? Amen. It's true. Does that mean that the Bible is from God? Well, longevity and popularity don't guarantee divine authorship. Because again, there's lots of other works that have been around for a really long time and are very popular. And similar to the archaeology and scientific claims, for the first 200 years of the church, could they say, you know, you know how we know that the Bible is God's word? Because it's been around for a really long time and it's the most popular book in the world. The answer is, no, they couldn't say that. The New Testament has been around for less than 200 years and it was largely not that popular. And yet it was still God's word. And people were, were called to believe that it was God's word. And so this doesn't prove to us that the Bible is God's word. Another argument is logical consistency and unity. The Bible was written by over 40 human authors over a period of 1,500 years, and yet 
the writings are, are remarkably consistent throughout. But again, this doesn't necessarily prove that the Bible is inspired. In part because even Christians sometimes wrestle with, well, how does this verse match up with this verse? How do these teachings really fit together? And we know they do because we know the Bible is God's word. But we don't know the Bible is God's word because we know everything fit together. We know everything fits together because we know the Bible is God's word. And so the fact that there are sometimes issues that, that cause us to, to wrestle with how things fit together undermines this argument. And then finally, people say, well, I know the Bible is true because look at all the people that have been transformed by what God has done. Look even at my own life and how God has changed me. Atheism might say we can make the world better, but the gospel actually has. The gospel has transformed people all around the world. Is that true? Yes. That God has the power to change people. And yet, that doesn't give us proof that the Bible is God's word. Because, again, other religions could say, you know what? This book changed my life. You ever had someone make that claim about something other than the Bible? You know what? This book changed my life. Could it have? Well, on one level. Obviously not at the same level as we would talk about with what God has done in his word. That's really hard to argue. These are not things that, that we can say, now you have to believe the Bible is God's word. And so as we kind of think through all of these things, I'd say there are four common issues with all of these arguments. First, all of them assume an external set of criteria. What do I mean by that? Basically, it's as if we're saying, all right, so here's the Bible. Let's figure out, is the Bible God's word? So let's get out our list of this is what a book from God would be like. Where did this list come from? If we think about the, the, the arguments we gave, on the list would be things like must have fulfilled prophecy, must be historically accurate, uh, must change lives, must be popular and last. This is all on our list. We say, well, where did this list come from? And, and I don't know. Outside of we created it somehow. Now, normally... If you're trying to, to ask a question like that, maybe you're going to say something like, we found this new creature. You know, this, this, is this creature a dog? And what would you do? Well, here's a list of things that we say, this makes something a dog. And where do we get that list from? Well, we look at a bunch of dogs and we say, well, all dogs have this characteristic. And therefore, if this creature has the same characteristics, it's a dog. Can we do that with the Bible? Let's look at all the other books that God gave us. And let's say, well, here's what they're all like. And so let's come to the Bible. I said, we don't have that, right? Because it's the only one. There's no list that we can look at to say, okay, now let's come to the Bible after we've created our list to figure out whether the Bible fits the list. And so all these arguments assume that's the case, but we don't actually have that. Secondly, 
none of these arguments can provide certainty. And that's what we've kind of been hitting at throughout. Because these are inductive arguments. Inductive arguments are arguments in which you're, you're taking a lot of information. You're taking a lot of data and you're trying to, to bring out some conclusions in light of that. You're saying why C A and B and C and D and so in light of all of these things, maybe we can say this is true. And, and essentially that's how science is supposed to work. But if hopefully you're aware of this, science can give us theories. Science can say this hypothesis has some evidence to support it now. But there's always the chance, you say, well, I looked at A, B, C, D, and E, and I thought, well, this is my conclusion. But now X came up. And I've got to reevaluate this now. And so essentially what we'd be left with with all these arguments is, well, as far as I know right now, the Bible's God's word, but it's open to being shown otherwise. Because... Once I find out archaeological evidence that doesn't match it up, or once I figure out there's a scientific thing that doesn't fit with this, or once it doesn't change someone's life, or or once it no longer is popular, well, then it's no longer God's word. So all of these are leading us not to a position of saying, this is true, but to a position of saying, you know what? There's at least some good reasons to believe it. Third, they place external evidence above the Bible. And we're kind of seeing that with the list, right? Here's the list, and we're going to take it to the Bible. And last week, what did we say? If the Bible is God's word, that means one of the things is it's the final answer. When the Bible says something, that settles it. And in these arguments, we're saying, well, except for when, whether or not we believe the Bible. When it comes to the question of whether or not we believe the Bible, let's come over here. Let's consider our reasoning. Let's consider our studies. Let's consider our look at history. And then let's kind of figure out, well, does the Bible match up with what we think it should do? And then let's believe it. The fourth problem is they assume that mankind can rationally arrive at divine truth and then submit to it. These arguments tend to say, all right, let's just be objective and neutral here. All right, let's not say the Bible is God's word. Let's not say it's not God's word. Let's just objectively look at the evidence and let's go wherever the evidence leads. If the evidence tells us the Bible is God's word, then we'll believe it. But we actually can't be that objective. In part, because the Bible tells us that the the natural man despises the things of God. And he does not submit to them. And so you take an unbeliever and you say, look, this is where the evidence leads. The evidence leads, this is God's word. He's not going to go, well, okay then. Because he doesn't want to believe what God has said. He doesn't submit to what God teaches. And so how should we think about these arguments? Well, I think one of the things these arguments can do is they can perhaps increase the confidence of 
of those who already believe that the Bible is God's word? If you're a Christian, you know the Bible is God's word, but maybe you have, you know, some lingering doubts here or there. And, and you hear, even like we talked about tonight, well, the Bible has historical accuracy and it's scientifically accurate. And you can look at these things that match up and you can see transformed lives. And you can look at these fulfilled prophecies and all those things as a Christian, I think on some level cause you to say exactly because this is God's word. But you kind of see the, the difference. Not this is God's word because of these things, but these things are true because this is God's word. Amen. I start here and then it makes sense. Then it matches up. Obviously, this is going to be true because I already know this is God's word. So in that sense, I think it can be strengthening to us. And it can weigh on the mind of an unbeliever. I said an unbeliever isn't going to look at all these things and say, okay, therefore I will submit. What it might cause them to do is to say, you know what? I should believe that. I should recognize this is God's word. I'm not going to, but I'm not, I'm not disbelieving because it's irrational to believe. Disbelieving for other reasons. And the flip side of that is these certainly undermine other books that might say that they come from God. For example, the Book of Mormon has some significant historical and scientific issues. Archaeological issues. I mean, it's claiming things like elephants were in South America and, and that the Native Americans are descendants of Jews and, and it's stuff that's clearly not true. I think that's one of the things we can look at and say that helps us to know this doesn't come from God, along with the fact that it doesn't match up with God's scripture. But ultimately, they cannot prove that the Bible is inspired. And so how do we know? How do we know that the Bible is God's word? Well, only God, as the true, infallible, and authoritative speaker, can definitively state whether or not something is his word. And so why do we believe the Bible? We believe the Bible is true because what God tells us about the Bible in the Bible. That we look at what God has said about the scriptures. And then we believe what he tells us about the Bible. Now, if you're thinking, well, it seems like there should be something more than that. Lord willing, we can flesh that out next week. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be thinking more about this issue. But this is, this is the final authoritative word. And so we put ourselves under what God has said and therefore believe what he tells us in his word. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that it is your word. Thank you that we can know that it is your word. And I pray that we would not undermine that truth in an effort on our part, perhaps a good-intentioned effort, that would convince ourselves and others, this is your word, what we want 
to have our thinking in this issue match up with yours. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.